significantly better. So there you go. All right, all right, let's wrap it up. Let's go to Bible study. Get your Bibles out. Open to Joshua chapter 9. We're working our way. Actually, we've only got a couple more weeks in Joshua because if you remember way back when we started, I told you that we were really only going to study the first 12 chapters and then uh, the, the second 12 are all about them divvying up uh, the land possessions that they were going to give uh, to each of the tribes. So um, really we'll only spend one week to wrap up the book of Joshua, but we're, we're getting close uh, to the end of our study. And so last week we saw, if you remember, what happens if you repent after a loss and get right with God, get back in the saddle and get back to where you know you should be with God, that you can have victory after a loss. Even if you screwed up, even if you had hidden sin in the camp like Israel did, right, when Achan sinned and he had sin hidden in the camp, they dealt with it, right? They, they, they located it, they destroyed it, they got it out, and then they got back to doing what they know what they should have been doing with the Lord. They got back to seeking God's word and, and obeying what he says to do, and God, lo and behold, went and wiped out their enemy for them that they had lost to. So we saw that, man, even if you have been screwing up for a while or fighting in your own power, fighting in the power of the flesh like Israel did against AI the first time, or maybe you've been struggling with the same enemy for a while and you just haven't tried to overcome it. You know what? Even if you keep falling, if you'll just simply repent, confess it, give it to God, and let him come into your life and to control it, you know what? He, he's not going to sit there and just say, you know, why, why do you keep falling? No, he's going to come into your life and say, man, I've been waiting for you to confess and to repent and get back right with me. And we saw that he comes right back in to Israel and helps them wipe out AI. Now, he's really stern with Joshua the first time, remember that, in chapter 7 when they screwed up, that he was really stern with him. And when he was laying on the ground, God said, get thee up. Israel has sinned. So he said, listen, you did this to yourself. But after Joshua found the sin and Israel dealt with it and repented, God was a lot more gracious, wasn't he, at the beginning of chapter 8? Because God's a gracious father. He wants to see you do well. He doesn't want you to lay on the ground in defeat. But you of your own free will, have to decide that I want to be right with the Lord and, and I want to strive to have my relationship with him be, be where it should be. And so if you decide to do that, man, God, God will be right back on your side and fighting with you in the battle and you'll be able to wipe out that enemy that you've been struggling with, okay? We've been seeing a theme in Joshua, uh, especially the last couple chapters, but definitely throughout most of the books so far. We've been seeing this theme that God wants Israel to utterly destroy all of the enemies, right? Have you noticed I've been saying that the last couple of weeks, and I said you're going, we're eventually going to see why that is so important. But I want to remind you of a few spots. So in Joshua 6, or remember in verse 21, when, it was, uh, when they were going up against Jericho, it says that they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, and ass with the edge of the sword. They destroyed everything. And then in chapter 7, when they finally located the sin of Achan, they didn't just you know, slap his wrist and say, hey man, you shouldn't do that. No, no, no. God doesn't like sin. Sin is against God. They dealt with it completely. And in verse 25 of Joshua 7, it says that Joshua said to Achan, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. So they completely and utterly destroyed the sin. And then we saw in, verse, or in, in chapter 8, when, after they repented of the sin, when they finally went up against AI and destroyed it, noticed 
that verse 26, Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. The theme in Joshua is that you have to utterly destroy all of the enemy. Why is that? Because God told them that if they didn't, the enemy would turn their hearts from God. And I'm going to take you back to Exodus. Before Joshua was in charge, before Moses had died, before they were even close to the brink of the Jordan River, God gives them this advice about making sure that they don't allow the enemy to live with them. Because when you give place to the enemy, they're going to turn your heart from God. Look at Exodus 34. God uses some pretty harsh language here. But we're all almost adults here, right? So I, I think you can handle it. If, God, it's, if it's in God's word, I think it's important. Verse 11 of Exodus 34. God says, Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I, God, drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. God's saying, I am driving out all of these enemies, all of these people. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. He says, don't make a covenant with the people who dwell there. They're your enemies. And if you, don't, if you make a covenant with them and you let them live, if you spare them, it's going to be a snare to you. Verse 13, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. This is all how they worship the pagan false gods. By the way, it's also places where they would have sacrificed their kids and stuff. Where God is not judging innocent people. These would have been people who would have took their kids and made burnt sacrifices of them as babies. This is why God is judging them. He says, for thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God, lest, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, small g, false pagan gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons to go a-whoring after their gods. See, what he's saying here, if you didn't catch it through some of that old English jargon, he's saying, listen, these people of the land are evil people. They serve pagan gods and they do evil, devilish things. And if you let those people live and you make a covenant with them, what's going to happen is eventually you're going to have sons who see their daughters and they're going to want them and they're going to marry them. And when their hearts have been drawn away from me, they're going to start going after those evil pagan gods too. That's what God is saying. God isn't some, I say this all the time I feel like, but he's not some cosmic party pooper. He's looking out for you. He's looking out for his people. And he says, listen, I'm a jealous God. He says his name is Jealous, capital J. He says, I don't want you going after those false gods of stone. So you got to wipe out all these enemies. Because the enemies, if you let them live, will turn your heart from me. That's important. Leaving enemies alive would surely mean that they would intermarry and the hearts of Israel would be turned after those pagan idols. Physical fornication and spiritual idolatry go hand in hand all throughout the Old Testament. You can, you can watch it. Israel, even outside of the book of Joshua, you'll see Israel. You'll see after a couple generations when they forget about what God has told them. You'll see their sons marrying the daughters of the, of the countries around them. And all of a sudden they start serving pagan gods and then God judges Israel. Every single time. Every time. So that's why, by the way, I'll just throw this in here for free. You ever wonder why youth pastors harp on this whole unequally yoked thing? You shouldn't date unbelievers? Listen, it's just practical. We're just looking out for you. You know why? Because when your heart longs for somebody who doesn't care about your God, 
and they worship the pagan idols of this world, which aren't little stone figures, but in our culture, it's whatever they worship, education, money, um, what, whatever it is. Guess what? When your heart is knit with that person, your heart turns from God. It's the same thing. It's just a different culture. It's just a different time. That's, ju- that's for free. That's why you shouldn't be unequally yoked because eventually, I'm not saying it'll happen immediately, it'll turn your heart from the Lord. God gives us that throughout his entire word, especially with Israel. So this week, I, I give you that, uh, that review and that understanding here because this week what we're gonna see is a new challenge for Joshua. Up until this point with Jericho and AI, we've seen Israel go up against enemies that are dressed, prepared to fight, right? The enemy has always looked the same. It's an opposing army. They're, they look like soldiers. They're ready to go. We're going to see Joshua get a new challenge this week with Israel. Because here's the deal. And you've got to understand this. If you start to take your relationship with God seriously, and you start to actually gain some victory in your life over some of these enemies of the flesh and these temptations, whatever it is that you're going up against that wants to prevent you from growing in God, when you start to actually gain some victories because you're letting God fight for you and you're worshiping God and you're in his word, you know what happens? The enemy will adjust. The enemy will change. The enemy is smart. He's not stupid. And we've got several enemies, right? The, the Christian has three enemies in the world. The devil, who's ultimately at the helm of all of it, the world, this world system, and the flesh that's on us, right? Those are our three enemies. And they're smart, I don't know why this popped into my head, but they're wicked smart. Isn't that like a Boston thing? I don't know. I don't know why that popped in my head. I'm sorry. Okay. It's, it's like the dad thing. It's like creeping up on me. They're wicked smart enemies. Okay, I, real, I ruined the mood. But, but the enemies, they are. They're really smart. And when you start to gain some victories because you're actually doing what God told you to do, guess what? They're going to adjust, just like a good football team at halftime. You know, I hate the Patriots. I don't know if anyone in here is a football fan. I hate the Patriots as much as anyone else, but you know why they're so stinking good? Because their coach can go into halftime down 21 points and adjust and come out of the locker room looking like a brand new football team. And then the other team's like, oh, I don't know what to do. What we were doing wasn't working. That's what a good football team does. And you know what? These enemies, after you've scored some touchdowns, they're going to adjust. They're going to adjust. It might be a crude illustration, but that's what we're going to see tonight. Because what I want you to think about is how will you react when the enemy looks different than you expect? Or how will you react when the enemy looks different than you've grown used to it looking? Okay? Because the enemy doesn't stay the same. It adjusts to what you're doing. So number one, we're gonna get into these verses here in Joshua chapter nine, but I'll give you the first blank here. It's the flesh gets a makeover. The flesh gets a makeover. See, up until this point, since they've crossed into the Jordan, Joshua is used to the enemy looking the same. It's the next city. It's the next army. But, but the flesh, it's shifty. And we're gonna see him get a makeover here. And if you look at verse 3 in Joshua chapter 9, it says, when the inhabitants of Gibeon, so we, we see a new character come into play, the Gibeonites, people from Gibeon. When these people heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work, here's a good word for you, wilily, <laughs> wilily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. And they took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, 
and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. Make a treaty with us. Be our friends, is what they're saying. Now these people, we're not going to see this until later in the chapter, these people of Gibeon are just a three days journey away. They're really close. They're actually their neighbors. And so you know what they do? They decide to work wily. What's, what's that word, wily? You guys, anybody remember old wily coyote? Wiley Coyote, anybody from the Roadrunner thing? You know, Wiley Coyote was the enemy of the Roadrunner, and he was, well, he wasn't very wily. He was pretty dumb. But you know what the word wily actually means? It means sly or cunning, or actually it means subtle. Can anyone think of an enemy who's subtle? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, there's that old snake, that old serpent, and he was more, what is the word? Subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he comes up to Eve, and you know the rest of the story. He's a subtle enemy. He's sly. He's sneaky. He's crafty. He's wicked smart. <laughs> it's going to be a thing tonight. <laughs> he's, I don't, I'm sorry, Gabby. He's, he's wily. And so that, that's an old, that, an old word. They did work wilily. They worked subtly. They were sneaky. They didn't, just co- they didn't put on all of their armor and come up against them. No, they... The flesh, the enemy, adjusted. Notice, because it said that they heard what Joshua did to Jericho and Ai, and guess what? They're like, hey, Jericho and Ai lost. I bet we'll lose too. Let's adjust. Let's change plans. Let's change strategies. Because when you start winning some battles, let me tell you, the flesh is going to change how it looks. And these Gibeonites, what they do is they dress up in old clothes and old shoes and they bring moldy bread and old wine and old bottles to make it look like they came from really far away. Like, we don't even live anywhere near you, but hey, if you ever make it our way, we just don't want you to kill us. We're just, we're just good people. We're not enemies. Let's just, just make a league with us. See, you're used to the flesh being dressed as a soldier ready to take you down. You're used to Goliath standing here ready to take you down. But what happens when the flesh reacts to God's victory in your life and gets a makeover? And they don't look the same as you're used to looking. Will you be caught off guard? Because guess what? These Gibeonites, they don't look very intimidating, do they? They don't look intimidating. They, they just look like some lowly hobos or something coming from a long journey. Well, these guys, they aren't going to do nothing. We have to remember our enemy is smart. They're wily. They're subtle. And they can change their face just like a chameleon to blend in. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says to the Corinthians, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't be ignorant, friends, of the enemy's devices and what he can pull off. Because if you jump to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he says, don't marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Did you know that Satan can make himself look like an angel of light? Meaning, Satan can make himself look like a good guy. Verse 15, Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know what? It's, Satan can make himself look like a good guy, and the guys who work for him, they can do that too. So don't be surprised when the enemy changes faces to make it look like he's on your side. All he's done is adapted because you've started to gain some victory. Now, if you've had no victories, this doesn't really apply to you at the moment. (laughs) You need to apply the last couple of weeks of Bible study and get right with the Lord and start getting some victory in your life. But when you actually start following the Lord, the enemy isn't just like, well, I guess that guy's following the Lord now, so we're just going to leave him alone. No, he reacts. He makes a change. He's going to come at you from a different angle. Let, Let me put it this way. 
I, I say this a lot in here. If you've got this one sin that you can't kick, you need to memorize at least four or five verses about it, right? Because the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, right? So, so your strategy, like Jesus in Matthew 4, when he's in the desert and the devil comes and he tries to tempt him to sin, his strategy was to come at him with scripture. So guess what? When you start memorizing scripture and the flesh and the devil start to tempt you with those sins and you come at it and you respond with scripture and all of a sudden that sin doesn't tempt you as bad anymore, do you think he just stops? No, guess what? He's going to find another thing that you didn't really know about. Oh, I didn't realize I had an anger problem. Well, yeah, it's because this, one, this card's not working anymore. So I'm going to play a different card. And guess what? You've got to start memorizing scripture about that. Because the enemy, Christian, can I just be real with you? The enemy's going to come at you for the rest of your life. <laughs> so you better be on guard. You better be on guard. And you better take God's word, hide it in your heart, and learn to fight the enemy, and be aware if he gets a makeover and changes how he looks. Go to verse 6 of Joshua 9 again. I want you to notice they went to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we be, far, we be from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. I want you to notice this here. The flesh will try to make compromises with you to stay alive. That's what they're doing here. Gibeon is the enemy of Israel and so they're going to make a compromise or attempt to to try and stay alive. Gibeon says let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Make a league with us. What do you want? And I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you right now, the flesh is willing to wheel and deal with you if you'll let it live. The flesh is willing to wheel and deal with you. You know, you know what? It'll, it'll even play good for a little while and pretend to not be there so that you think you're in control, so that you don't kill it. We'll see that in a minute here. If we keep reading into verse 7, what we're going to see, number 2, is the lies, the lies of the flesh. The enemy is a liar. And it'll lie to you to get what it wants. It'll tell you that, that you can control this. That you don't, you don't need to completely wipe out the flesh. You don't need God's word. Just, just you, can, you can just suppress this. This addiction or this issue that you have, whatever it is, you, you can control it. You can deal with it. If you'll just let the flesh live, it's going to make compromises. And it'll tell you lies. Look at verse 7. The men of Israel, and they noticed this at first, the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure ye dwell among us. And how shall we make a league with you? He said, well, but what if you actually aren't from far away? And they said unto Joshua, we are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, from a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. Oh, look at that. They sound pretty spiritual too. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league with us. See, and, the, and then look at verse 12 and 13. This is our bread with, with we, uh, blah. <laughs> this is our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it's dry and it's moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent or broken. And these are garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Look at all those lies. They, they were just from a couple days journey away. But they're saying all these lies to make a compromise, to try and get them to make a deal with them. You know how 
you can tell when someone's lying? You know how your parents know when you're lying? You get really specific about things. Like, like notice this. Like, like, listen, guy, I see your old shoes. I know. Why are you telling me, look, look, look at my bread. It's all moldy. And look at my pants. They're all old. And look at my shoes because of the long journey. It's like, okay, guy, I get it. You got, it, you can tell when someone's lying. I mean, our enemy's a liar. And we know the devil's a liar because if you go back to Genesis 3, he told Eve a lie. He, he told her that God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God's. He lies. He's the father of lies. Jesus says in John chapter 8, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is the father of lies. He's a deceiver of the brethren, the Bible says. So our enemy's a liar. That shouldn't take us off guard. And our own flesh is a liar too, because you know what? Your flesh will try to trick you into letting it stay alive. They, they say, we are thy servants. We'll serve you. We're your slaves. We'll do whatever you want. Just let us live. You know what? That's what your enemy's going to try to do too if you start to gain some victory. At first, they're going to come at you hard because they know they can pummel you and you'll run away scared. But once you start to stand because you know God's fighting for you and you start to get some victory, they're going to change face and they're going to make some compromise. They're going to want to make a treaty, make a league with you. Let's make a deal. And it'll lie to you. It'll tell you whatever you want to hear. It wants you to think that it will serve you, right? That you can let it live and nothing will go wrong. That's what it wants you to think. But our flesh, that the Bible calls the old man, right? If you're saved today in Christ, God tells us to put on the new man. Our old man, that's the old creature. Before you were saved, that's all the crap you used to get into. That's all that old sin. You know what the Bible says about that old man? Ephesians 4 says to put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That old man's a liar. It's deceitful. It's full of lust. It says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Man, don't trust that thing. It's deceitful. It's a liar. It's your enemy. You gotta put that old man off. Don't let it stick around. That's when you fall into lust and temptation, and that's when you fall into defeat. So let's see how Israel responds back in Joshua 9. So they tell all this lie that's obviously a lie, and look at verse 14. This is a key verse. I'd even start in your Bible if you wanted to. The men took of their victuals, which would have been the things that they brought for them, like the, the wine and stuff like that. They took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Ooh, is that going to turn out well? And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. See, what happens was they took of their stuff and in their own wisdom, by the way, what have we said in the, the weeks leading up to this? How does our own wisdom work when we're fighting against the enemy? Not very good, right? Our own logic. That's why God had Israel march around Jericho seven times, right? Because that's how man's logic works when we fight enemies. <laughs> no. Man's logic here said, yeah, these guys check out. They look fine. We don't need to vet them any further. They didn't seek counsel at the mouth of the Lord. They made peace with them, they made a league with them, and then the princes of Israel swear unto them that they weren't going to kill them. Do you see a theme here in the book of Joshua? Listen, if you don't get anything from the book of Joshua, 
other than this, you need to get this. When does Israel succeed? When they consult God's word and they obey it. When does Israel fail? When they ignore God and do what they want. That's a theme for your life, by the way. You, you can boil it all down to this. You will succeed when you obey God's word. When you seek God's word and you obey it, that's when you'll succeed. And you will fail when you ignore it and you do your own thing. Every time. That, that's the theme of the whole book of Joshua, really. It all boils down to that. And I'm sure that most of the counselors in here could attest to you from their own past experiences that that is true. I know I can. So without consulting God, Joshua and Israel make a peace treaty with Gibeon. They swear not to harm them, and they choose to, quote-unquote, let them live, right? You know what happens when we choose to let the flesh live, let our enemies live in our life? It will play nice for a minute, like I told you earlier, but it's going to come back to try and control you later. It will play nice for a minute. When you start to get real about living for the Lord and, and getting righteous and conforming to his image through his word, the flesh will be like, whoa, 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 it's, it's okay, man. It's all good. I'll back off. I'll back off for a minute. And it'll lay low and says, we, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want. You're like, okay, all right. I'm not gonna deal with this anymore. But you know what? After a little bit of time passes, that thing's gonna creep back up because it's the flesh. And God tells you that you need to crucify the flesh, right, daily. And when you don't, it will crawl back off of the altar, off of the cross, and try to control your life. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. I could take you to 10 other references that tell you that you need to crucify the flesh daily. You need to wake up and give that to the Lord and say, I'm not going to serve the flesh today. I'm gonna serve the Lord. I'm gonna walk in the spirit because it's a daily struggle. It's a daily battle. And the flesh will try to constantly crawl off that cross and get back into your life. That's why you gotta kill it. You gotta wipe it out. You need to utterly destroy all of the enemies. Don't be fooled by the flesh. That's your last blank under number two. Don't be fooled by the flesh. It'll change its face, but it's still the same old enemy. It's just changed its strategy. So don't be fooled. Number three, if you do happen to spare the flesh, maybe some of you have done that before and you've seen what happens. Number three, sparing the flesh has consequences. Sparing the flesh has consequences. If you choose to let some of the enemy live, there's gonna be consequences. Let's keep reading. Verse 16 of Joshua 9. It says, It came to pass at the end of three days, <laughs> three days after they had made a league with them, the Gibeonites, that they heard that they were their neighbors <laughs> and that they dwelt among them. They actually dwelt within the, the nation of Israel. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. They were three days' journey away. Now their cities were Gibeon and Shephira and Beeroth and Kirjath-Jerim. I think that's how it's pronounced. And the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. They're like, what the heck were these guys doing? But all the princes said unto the, all the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This will we do to them. Here, here's the compromise. But, but don't worry, guys. Here's what we're going to do. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation, as the princes had promised them. In other words, let, let's just let them be slaves. Like they said, let's let them be servants. They'll chop wood for us. They'll bring water for us. This is a good thing. Uh, verse 22, and Joshua called for them to Gibeon, and, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us? 
Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen, or slaves, and hewers of wood, and drawers of water for the house of my God. And verse 25 says, And now behold, the Gibeonites say, We are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee, do unto us, do. So the Gibeonites say, yeah, that's fine. We'll play nice. We'll be servants. That's fine. We'll, we'll chop down wood. We'll do, that's fine. We just want to live, man. It's okay. But you know what? Did God say, let your enemies work for you? Is that what God told Israel to do? Did he say, it's okay to let some of them live because you can pick up some free labor? Is that what God told them to do? No. He said, utterly destroy all the enemies. They're, they're ignoring God again. And every time they ignore God, things go south. Every time. Because Israel thinks that they can control their enemies and just make them their slaves. But that's not what God told them to do. And that's not how it works. Because like we saw at the beginning, that will only bring trouble. Remember what God said back in Exodus 34? If you start letting enemies live, your heart will be turned from God. And that would take a bigger study of some more of the Old Testament. But ultimately... If you kind of break down the Old Testament, you see this roller coaster of Israel doing good and following the Lord, then ignoring God, falling into idolatry and fornication with the pagan countries, and, and failing and defeat, and then getting back on track with God. It's just this roller coaster of doing what God says, ignoring God. Doing what God says, ignoring God. And they just keep reaping what they sow. Thinking that you can control the flesh, here's what you gotta get. If, if you let the flesh fool you into thinking you can control it, what happens is it actually makes you a slave to it, not the other way around. You think you're getting a good deal because you're like, well, you know, flesh will just be my slave. It'll do what I want it to do. But it's fooled you, and you actually become a slave to it. Because Romans chapter 6 tells us, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin control your body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But instead, yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then verse 16, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to him ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? What he says is, listen, don't you realize that if you let sin dwell in your body, that you are yielding yourself to be a slave to it? Don't you realize that? If you allow it to have space in your life, it will control you. And what you're doing is rather than yielding yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness, you're yielding yourself as an instrument to sin of the flesh. You can't let it dwell there. And Gibeon ends up being a thorn in the side of Israel for a long time because they made a league with them. Also immediately in Joshua 10, and we're not going to read it, but if you look at verses 1 through 6 of Joshua 10, they get into a war because of Gibeon. They probably wouldn't have even had to fight this war. But what happens is some other kings hear of how good Israel is doing, and they hear that Gibeon ended up making a league with Israel, so they said, hey, let's go attack Gibeon. So they attack Gibeon. Gibeon calls Israel and says, hey, help us. Remember, you made a league with us. Okay, I, so they have to get into this whole war. Because they made a league with them because they didn't talk to God. So if you're ever not sure of what's going on, guess what? You need to pray and read your Bible. <laughs> I mean, all of this, children's ministry, middle school ministry, high school ministry, all boils down to read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Remember that song? It's, it, that's what it all boils down to, man. 
When you stop talking to God and stop reading his word, you will fail because the enemy is smarter than you and they will fool you unless you're getting into God's word because God is smarter than the enemy. And Gibeon's gonna end up being a thorn in their side for a long time. If you look at Joshua eleven nineteen, it says there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. So they only screwed up that one time by making a league with people instead of wiping them out. But if you track it through the whole Old Testament, they're going to be a thorn in their side for a long time. All because they didn't consult God and they thought that they could control their, their enemy. So, so I guess what I want you to see from all this, guys, is don't strike up a deal with the flesh when he changes clothes. When the, when the flesh or the enemy comes walking and says, let's make a deal, just let me live, don't play along. Seek God, obey God, and utterly destroy all those enemies. That is if you want to grow in your relationship with him, if you want to mature, and if you want to succeed and have victory over those areas in your life. Don't give them an inch to control your life. Don't let that sin dwell in you. It's kind of like the sin of Achan. When you, if you let that sin, that flesh dwell in just a little bit, guess what? It's going to make the whole thing lose. They all fell to AI, not just Achan. It's actually funny because it, not even just Gibeon here, but all throughout the Old Testament, Israel is going to stumble and fall when they make friends and even marry some of their enemies around them. They stumble and fall. So don't do it. Don't make a deal with the flesh. Recognize that your enemy is subtle and crafty and allow God to take control and to fight your battles for you. You can do it. Just don't be fooled. Because if you actually get serious about this thing and start getting victory because God's, God's fighting for you and you're submitting to him, the enemy's going to change strategy. So just be ready for that. Take, learn that lesson from the nation of Israel and be ready for it and learn from their mistakes. And just, just be prepared to always seek God. Don't make a league without consulting God. That, that was Joshua and Israel's downfall in this instance. Seek God and do what he says. Destroy all the enemies. And you'll grow. And you'll get victory. And God will use you to do amazing things. And it'll be awesome. Let's pray. God, I come to you tonight and I thank you for what you've taught us through your word and through the example that Israel gives us. I know sometimes we kind of beat up on Israel because when you've written down everything that happened, I mean, we see all of their mistakes in black and white, but we also see their victories. We also see how when Joshua and Israel repented and got right with you, they got victory. But whenever they ignored your counsel and did what they wanted, they always had failure. So God, I pray that we would just learn that simple lesson. Rather than ignoring you and trying to do what we want, I pray that we would just seek you and get your counsel and obey you. Not because you're a jerk in heaven who wants to control our lives, but because you sincerely want what's best for us. And you want to see us prosper and get victory in life and, and to live for you and to have great success like Joshua 1.8 says. So God, I pray that we would seek to do that. And if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I just pray that they would do what your word says and just confess their sin to you and believe that you're God that you've died for our sins because you love us and you want us to have a relationship with you, they can do that tonight, Lord. And I just pray that they would do that and then they would learn as they, as they become a child of God, born into your family, they, they'll learn how to fight the enemy. But right now, they're on the wrong side of the battle because they're an enemy of you because of their sin. But you died for their sins so that they could live with you forever in heaven. I pray that they would just give their lives to you, God, and quit trying to do this thing on their own. And they, they'd be able to find all the hope and peace and comfort that's in you. We love you so much, God. We offer this last song as praise. We pray that you be glorified through it. It's in your name that we pray, amen.